0: I'm sitting here on the sofa with Gareth Roberts, the director of Oil in the Blood, and the reason I'm here with him today is because this year at Shed London's show we're going to have for the first time a cinema. And uh, we couldn't possibly have a cinema without playing Gareth's film. So Gareth, thanks for joining us.
1: Pleasure.
0: Um, What on earth possessed you to try and make a film that documents the entire culture of the new wave cafe scene?
1: That's a good question really. Um, really because i saw this kind of phenomena kind of grow from being a kind of niche of a niche into something that became global and had a kind of a kind of a global kind of identity and that was grew to the point where it's kind of sitting on the edge of mainstream motorcycling and also kind of influencing mainstream motorcycling and i kind of wanted to kind of really scratch beneath the surface of that and find out what it was why it's happened, and what does it mean, really. Um, and in, in that process,
0: I mean, you know, you've been in biking for a long time. It's mm. in it's in your blood. Yeah. Um, what, over the process, what did you learn? What What are the big themes? I mean, I know they're in the film, but what, what were the things that we, people can take from it and that you took from it?
1: Well, I mean, I've been in motorcycling for, you know, ever since I was a kid. So I mean, I've been riding bikes for, God, over 35, 36 years now. Um, This last 10 years has really been my most social time in um, motorcycling. Um, For most of my adult life, biking was pretty much a a solitary affair that I did with maybe one or two other mates. Um, Did a little bit time, uh, a few seasons racing. That was a little bit more communal, but there was always that very kind of um, there was always a very competitive edge there. So that wasn't really you know. It was an illusion to community, but it wasn't really. It was mm. still very kind of individualistic. So when this kind of culture kind of emerged, uh, and I became in, you know, I became aware of it and became involved in it, um, the kind of social side of it really, um, really struck me. Really, it was just the way in which this culture kind of broke down a lot of the kind of traditional kind of bigotries and kind of genre defining lines of motorcycling and how it was, you know. In many ways, it was very forward-looking, very progressive, but it was also harking back to a kind of, I suppose, more romantic side of motorcycling, where people um, were a lot more kind of had a, a lot more of a kind of hands-on engagement with their machines. Um, and I think the thing that uh, that really comes from it is just this idea that people are starting to re-engage with motorcycles again, that people are have are not just seeing motorcycles as appliances and as, um, things that they just buy on credit ride around for a year and then trade in for something else on credit that they start developing a relationship again with the motorcycle a relationship which is kind of slightly more kind of long term and they understand you know starting to kind of have an interest in how those you know how it works and why it works and and being able to put their hands on their own bikes and i mean that goes from you know, literally somebody just you know changing the number plate at one end to people doing full rebuilds and full fabrications at the other end of the spectrum. But there's, it's re- it's attached a value to those kind of skills again, and I just think it's just making, it, it, it's brought in an era of, we brought back brought us back to an era of just people just appreciating motorcycles a little bit more for what they are, rather than just throwaway pieces of consumerism
0: i mean you you started out by saying something quite interesting that there was this this niche within a niche which Mm. was nudging onto the mainstream Mm. and you deal with that a little bit in your film yeah because obviously it's a film about custom culture Mm. and now it's a category in an industry
1: yeah
0: um after sort of making that story and hearing other people tell that story and turning that into a narrative Mm. where's that left you where's your head at with that
1: where I'm headed I know what my own pers- where my own personal interests lie, but in terms of the industry and the kind of the sect the sector or the culture as a whole, I think it's only, you know it's a good thing. It's a great thing. Really, it, first of all, the manufacturers have started listening to what consumers want, and for a long time they didn't listen to what consumers want. They really tried to, and very successfully led consumers where they needed they, where they wanted consumers to be led, and. What you've seen with a number of the major manufacturers is that they've actually started listening to motorcyclists again, you know, started to try and started trying to understand what it is mo- you know people actually want rather than what they want to sell them, which I think is you know it's in, in many cases are two different things. So I think that's a very positive thing. I think it's it's made motorcycling cool again. You know, motorcycling had become this kind of esoteric, kind of fetishistic little niche that. Really, just sat on its own over there somewhere, where people are into bikes are into bikes, and then the rest of the world, you know, couldn't give a shit. Whereas with this whole culture, because it's so kind of wrapped up with the kind of lifestyle side of things, it's like it's made bikes cool again. And bikes have always been cool. You know, they were cool in the early 1900s. They were cool in the 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s. Started to drift off in the 80s and 90s. But it's it's made them. It's made the whole motorcycle culture kind of something that people, you, people in the mainstream, aspire to, and you know would consider wanting to be a part of. Whereas, 10, 15 years ago, that wasn't the case, and was, the net result of that was motorcycle industry was dying. Whereas now, you know, it seems like the motorcycle industry is, in, in certain certain aspects, has kind of recovered and you know that there's a renewed interest in motorcycling. so I think that's a great thing and I think you know it's it's also a very diverse culture so it means that people can take what they want from it it's not a particularly prescriptive culture so it's not like custom culture in years gone by where there was a very strict kind of set of rules and kind of aesthetic um, you know aesthetic um, standards that you had to keep. It's, 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 it it, it 's so widespread is that people can take out, take from it what they want to take from it and they can burrow down into whatever, whatever little aspect they want of it want to burrow down into, but still come to somewhere like the bike shed or any of the major events and you know feel that they're part of something that that 's bigger and just beyond that particular little niche you know you can you know you 'll have guys coming up to the bike shed show on you know 1940s you know, Harley 45s, you know, you'll have guys pulling up on it on, you know, 2019, you know, Triumph, Triumph Scrambler and they'll be parking next to each other and they be talking to each other about their bikes. And that's something that's very special because it never used to be like that. And I think that's the single most kind of positive thing that you can take from this kind of you know this culture is that it's it's encouraged a sense of diversity where people can just actually get on with being interested in what they're interested in
0: yeah it's a I mean I, we talk about it a lot it's a little bit kind of punk rock isn't it all the rules got broken and it's kind of brought everyone together yeah everyone's got something in common yeah so in terms of your biking journey mm. um, what's your garage look like these days and how much have you got going on and, and how does it span across the <laughs> eras from stuff that works to stuff that <laughs> Uh, probably
1: doesn't work very often. Well my my garage at the moment, I've got, well there's seven bikes that are attached to my garage, there's there's only only five of them in there at the moment, but essentially what I've got at the moment, I've got a Norton Commando, which works most of the time, Um, I've got a Triumph T140 Bonneville, that's chopped up, which works very rarely, um, I've got an XJR 1300, um, which is quite heavily customised by uh, Calumet de Bolex. Uh, that works all the time, that's a very reliable yeah. bike. Um, I've got a Ducati 900 SS, um, kind of Mike Halewood, kind of super light, quite very heavily customised. The custom poster thing. bike from
0: a couple of years poster ago. poster bike yeah. from yeah.
1: two years ago. Yeah. yeah, that works. That only mm. goes out when it's when there's no sign of rain though. I'm a bit precious about that. Um, my partner's got a Moto Marini 500, which is a great little bike from the early 80s, and this 81. And I've got a Bull Astro flat track bike, which is in the process of being rebuilt and made road legal. So that's, that's it at the moment. And there's, uh, there's talk of a, a Laverda Jota at some point.
0: Mm, okay. Yes. <clears throat> Another yes. money pit.
1: Well, I'm hoping that's not going to be a money pit. I'm o- that's going to be a, a ground-up rebuilt by by one of the most foremost kind of louverder experts in Europe. So that will be starting from scratch over a period of time in installments. So hopefully, when that's built, that's, that that will just be built. But that's not going to be custom. That's just going to be a an absolute. Re- a re- nuts and bolts restoration on a stock bike. So
0: you're covering a good chunk of the genres covered in the film, <laughs> yeah. just for research purposes. Yeah, absolutely. Obviously.
1: absolutely. But, I mean, you know, are, are they a- all
0: therefore tax deductible? Um, Surely that's well, research. It's, uh,
1: yeah, it's, that's a little bit debatable, uh, my accountants, uh, we have plenty of arguments about that. But no, I mean, the, the, one of, one of, the, one of the, the less positive things about this culture is it, it's turned a lot of us into greedy gluttons whereas you know for many many years i had one bike and when i wanted another bike i'd sell that bike and get another bike you know sometimes i might have two bikes but mm. this whole kind of um, this whole thing has kind of encouraged encouraged the kind of the magpie amateur collector
0: i think it's called aspect. hoarding
1: it is called hoarding and you know Well, it's been interesting because what it's done, for me personally, it's it's opened up this this whole side of motorcycling that I was never interested in before. So I had what, you know, I, I thought I knew what I liked, and that was really sports bikes, sports orientated bikes, and kind of, you know, and classic bikes. But... Through this kind of culture and because of the diversity, it's like I've got this whole interest in a a whole other side of motorcycles that um, you know I'd never been interested in before. Flat track racing, you know, I didn't really, you know, had no interest in that whatsoever. You know, Harleys, I'd never owned a Harley, never wanted to own a Harley. I had very. Kind of blinkered misconceptions about Harleys, and then of course, like anything, you you start—you know—once you start becoming exposed to them, you start becoming aware of them, particularly the historic Harleys. You you understand—you know—you begin to kind of have an interest that wasn't there before, and I think that's what's really interesting. And you see that a lot. With you know some of the old dying- in the wall Harley guys becoming a lot more interested in kind of Japanese bikes, whereas 10-15 years ago they would never have been interested in Japanese bikes. And that's that's tr- that that to me is really interesting because I think that it really speaks to the you know the enthusiast the enthusiast side of what we're all about, rather than just kind of being kind of too tribal, as motorcycling has been for many, many years.
0: Yeah. So, what would you want people to take from watching your film? What, what would, I mean, ideally, what are they going to get out of it, apart from being entertained?
1: Well, I'd like people to be entertained, to be informed, and also to take away from it, take away from it that it's it's something that is enduring, and it's a kind of it, it, it's more about a kind of philosophical change in how people think about motorcycling, rather than it being a fashionable or transitory thing because you know we talk about this in the film about young people getting involved with bikes now young people getting involved in bikes through the, through this culture you know kids in their their late teens early 20s who get their first bike and their exposure to motorcycling is through this through this culture it's like the values that they're adopting are values of being interested in how how things work being able to work with your hands, learning skills, learning how to work with your motorcycles. And that's, you know, that takes a lot of time, it takes a lot of effort and takes a lot of commitment. But once that commitment's gonna be is made, it's there for a it's there for a lifetime, right? That's not going to go away. And that's really to me what this culture, this explosion of this culture has done it's it, 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 it's ensured the next generation of motorcycling. Well, it's captured the next generation of motorcyclists. So it means the, the immediate and you know the, the the distant future. Well, not the distant future, but within the next 20 years of motorcycling, it's kind of you know it's been assured, it's been captured because it's brought people interested in bikes. It's exposed them to bikes in a different way, but in a more kind of involved way. That it's not going to go away. People aren't going to get bored of it. I think we had that with the scene. Mm. maybe four or five years ago you had people dipping in dipping out but it's kind of leveled off now and i think that the people who are interested in it at whatever at whatever level you know are you know he- here to stay and mm. i think that's a good thing
0: yeah i mean to me it feels like between what you're doing with the film and what's happening in the culture is biking is becoming bigger than the bike mm. it's about people so mm. where, where, i mean you talk about electric you talk about uh, women coming back into biking and owning it, and yeah. not being on the back, and, and it becoming a natural part of, of sort of women's culture, um, and a whole bunch of themes about how things were evolving. But I think what it what it really talks about is the people.
1: Yeah, and absolutely. It talks about it's,
0: it's not just about the two wheels and and the powertrain. It's about this this big group of cultures all coming together.
1: Yeah, and it's the relationships that you it's the relationships that you develop with people I mean that's what makes this all interesting it's it's you know the bikes are the bikes and the bikes are fascinating in themselves but bikes have always been fascinating so what's the thing that's made it different and that's the cult you know that's the culture that's the people that's the interaction with the people and that's the kind of just this kind of sense of identity that it gives that it gives people but from all sorts of different backgrounds and all sorts of different kind of walks of life and it's not but it's not like a an identity that's asking you to conform to anything. It's just asking you to... It's like David Boris says in the film, it's just, you know, come and give something. It doesn't really matter what it is, but as long as you come with a, you know, a giving and an open spirit, then you're, you're, you're welcomed with open arms. And I think that's what's really interesting about it. You know, you come to the bike shed and you walk around the bike shed and you look at who's in it. I mean, it's not what its detractors would imagine it to be, you know? It's detractors would say oh it's just you know it's just hipster bikers but you walk around here there's all sorts of different bikers there's a guy in the corner in his you know in his full race leathers. There's, there's a guy in, you know there's a, there's a guy sat at the bar you know who's got his adventure adventure bike gears so yeah there is the bloke with the beard and tattoos over there and and then it just it just kind of and then there's commuters and there's all sorts of people and they're all parking their bikes here and they're all talking to each other about their bikes they may be completely different but there's it's a kind of a sense of openness that's kind of come through this, this kind of, this culture that I find really kind of fascinating and positive about it, really. And I've made friends all over the world through it, and, you know, in ways I never used to be, it never really happened in Viking previously.
0: And you've got a couple of interesting key narrators through it. I mean, you've got Paul Dorlings, yep. who's been around since the earliest days, the Vint yeah, and of course, uh, Chris Hunter, the founder of Bike Exif, mm. um, and those two really were key disseminators of storytelling. Mm. Um, and, and, you know, who else do you think it was really sort of, in terms of guiding the film and, and sort of pinning it down, I mean, do you think those two guys were sort of...
1: Well, quite, they, and, and they, they were, they were. I mean, they were, they were interesting. They, they um, the pair of them kind of talked... They talked about the culture with a sense of... Detachment that was allowed that enabled them to give a kind of you know, like a have a kind of overall view of what was happening. Um, you know, the bike shed yourself, you know, I mean, really, it, personally for me, you know, it's was my involvement with the bike shed, you know, in the early days that kind of gave you know, gave me the kind of exposure and enthusiasm to all of this. So, you know, it was the bike shed, there and was, there was also. You know, all sorts of strange and wonderful characters that we met along the way, you know, who ended up featuring quite heavily throughout the film. You know, people like Craig Rodsmith. I mean, I yeah. know, you know Craig. He's like, a character. You know, I just bumped into Craig. Yeah. Um, I knew who he was. We, we did an interview with him at um, the Handbilt show a couple of years ago. But he just, you know, he's he, he, short. You know, we interviewed him for about an hour and a half in the end. So it was a, a relatively long interview, but it was only one interview. But... That was really, you know, that was a really insightful interview. I mean, obviously spending, we spent a lot of time with David, um, David Boris from El Solitario. um, He really helped um, kind of mould how we, how I looked at it. I mean, you know, David's a a material character, so it wasn't always easy. But, um, you know, we we started as friends and remained, you know, ended as as stronger, you know, closer friends. but, you know, it's a, it, the, the structure of the film is that it doesn't, really ha- it doesn't have a narrator or one narrator or two narrators. You know, the whole idea of it, it's about really giving a voice to the, to the 300 people that we interviewed. I mean, of the 300 people we interviewed, we probably feature about 140, 150 of them. And that's um, not necessarily, um, you know, it wasn't a value judgment. It was just, you know, just trying to get the best bits. I mean, Ross, actually, from, from, from here, from mm-hmm. the he had a lot to say, a lot of interesting yeah. stuff to say uh, about lots of different aspects of it over di- uh, 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 he, what was interesting about Ross is that we interviewed Ross four times over, over the uh, over the lifetime of the film so we interviewed him he was like the second interviewee, and I think he was one of the last interviewees as well and he he gave a kind of you know so he gave a good good snapshot of it over the time slice of the of the film, but actually funny enough, what he was saying at the beginning what we were saying in the, at the end and what he said at the beginning were remarkably similar mm. and that was what was interesting for me it was like i was a little worried you know because it took you know it took nearly 3 years to make whether the stuff that was shot at the beginning was going to be relevant or not but actually that was one of the things that really came through is actually yes it was relevant because we're not we're not talking about something that's actually as transitory as one might feel that it is yeah. from the sheer output of you know across social media you know you think it's changing 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 but actually the kind of core values and the core kind of um way in which people are, are kind of thinking about it it's not changing it's evolving but it's not changing anywhere near at the rate that you would imagine
0: i think yeah a lot of people were concerned that because the film took a long time to make yeah. that by the end of it some of the material would have been sort of outdated but actually I think what the film showed me as a viewer was the stories remained the same the mm. scene as, maybe as businesses or as categories or as various other parts of the, you know, how it's executed that's changed and the bikes have evolved and moved mm. on but the story underneath it has remained exactly the same.
1: No, I'm not, yeah, you're, you're right. I mean, what I think has happened over the over these three years is the kind of the you know, culture's matured. You know, there are certain people within the culture who have worked out ways in which they can monetize it and, and make a living from it. And then there are other people who have realised that they actually can't make a living out of it. So you've had people, you know, you had, had a number of people fall away from it. Um, who haven't really been able to work out how to, you know, how to, to run a business? Mm.
0: As they say, there's hundreds of pounds in motorcycling. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> hundreds.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. If you, mm. you, know, you, you want to make a money. small fortune mm. in motorcycling, you start with a big one. But, mm. um, you know, there are certain people who, you know, like yourselves, like Revival, um, like Deus, um, builders like Walt Siegel, um, even people like Craig Rodsmith who, you know, has very s- small output of the bikes that he makes but he's managed to get himself into a position where he's making bikes of such a high standard that actually they command the kind of prices that um command the kind of prices that people are willing to pay but also are, you know are big enough to sustain you know to, s- to sustain his operation there's other people like you know like Max Hayes and um, yeah who are in that category and I think it's the difference between those who have succeeded and those who, who haven't is not necessarily down to skill or flair but it's really being an understanding of what it is that they they do best and actually really focusing on what they do best and I think that's a good thing because it means that you know if nobody's making a living out of it it's like the thing's just going to run out of steam because it's just going to be people chasing their tails and people getting despondent but you know if there are certain people within the industry or certain groups of people within the industry that can within the culture that can make it an industry then it it makes it sustainable right and why shouldn't people earn money from Mm. from it you know people put more than enough time into it um and that's uh, that's that's really where i see the future of it really is it just becoming more consolidated i'd like to see it more kind of um Spreading its wings a little bit more, so one thing still frustrates me a little bit, for instance, is with the manufacturers trying you know manufacturers catering to this to this culture, but they 're not really drawing people from the culture in to the companies as much as they should be. you know they should be having key players within within the culture as being right embedded well within the the corporation so that they can guide. You know, they, they can guide the decisions properly because you still see really interesting bikes are made, and obviously directed very much towards this culture that just have terrible marketing, yeah, and they hit you know hit so many wrong notes, and you know that's where I think you know it could develop in a really interesting way, and also you know and on the media side of things, you know having more kind of substantial. Um, Media output, so we start seeing decent stuff on TV, decent stuff online. That's just a, that, that's evolved beyond the stage of it just being. Well,
0: you've got, you, got enough footage. I've got. We've got <laughs> enough. Mini series,
1: but we need. You know, you need a you need a um, a broadcaster or a, a you know a, a distributor to pay for you know to pay for that, right?
0: So that takes us nicely to, obviously, people can come to the bike shed, see the film, and I think, am I right in that's going to be the first general public screening for it? in the UK. Yeah, it's
1: essentially the UK premiere. So
0: that's the UK premiere. Where else can people see this film, not just in the UK but elsewhere? I know you, you've been road showing at all the big exhibitions and events and also when can we expect some distribution?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, the, the, our kind of release strategy was kind of two-pronged, really. It was, first of all, you know, on one hand it was get it out and screen it to our core audience. So that's screening it at, um, At bike, you know, custom bike shows, custom bike events, um, special screenings, you know, in conjunction with people within the kind of community, that's taken us up to the end of the summer. Um, The first big screening in the year, well, the the premiere is is Bike Shed in a couple of weeks' time. Then we've got a screening in Dublin the week after that. We've got a uh, screening at the Lisbon Film Festival, uh, Motorcycle Film Festival, at the beginning of June. Then Wheels and Waves, mid June, and then we have the uh, the Australian premiere in Sydney and um, Melbourne in conjunction with Pipe um, at the end of June. And then at the end of June, we'll we should be in a position to announce our commercial release. I mean, we're essentially in kind of quite advanced negotiations with. Um, a commercial distributor there's just a couple of things we need to we, we need to fall into place uh, for us to make that announcement so it should be on you know globally on kind of general release by the end of the summer
0: great excellent
1: yeah so people will be able to download it buy dvds mm. rent it stream it so yeah. it'll be available across all the different platforms that's so perfect. that's the idea
0: thanks dude that's brilliant Pleasure. so come to the bike shed watch your oil in the blood
1: Hope you enjoyed the interview. Don't forget to subscribe to the YouTube channel. Uh, New content coming out Tuesdays and Fridays every week. If you're at the show next week, come and say hello.